0: And I was thinking about the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you've never seen Mm -hmm. any of the Star Wars films, you know, seeped into our collective cultural consciousness is the no-I-am-your-father moment. You know, it's like the Jaws music or the Psycho music. You know, everybody knows the no-I-am-your-father twist. It exists sort of beyond the realm of the film. Right. And, you know, he says, Mm no-I-am-your-father, to which Luke says no, that's not true, that's impossible, to which Darth Vader says, search your feelings, you know it to be true. Mm -hmm. And you see this, you know, because this is, it's easy to forget that Mark Hamill is like a really established actor. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy had a huge run in Amadeus Mm -hmm. on stage, he had a huge run in the Elephant Man on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, granted, all work he got as a result of the original Star Wars movie, but Empire is the first time he's really able to act. Mm And he sells the idea with his no. Mm-hmm. When he screams that no, you're like, holy crap, it's true. Yeah, I... There is no logic. There is right. no explanation. But yeah. he sells it with that no! standing by
1: this is not rescue
0: i am a jedi
1: like my father before me everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you how are you Welcome to Dead Boffin Spies, a podcast about wars among the stars. Crazy, right? I'm Ryan Daly, and this episode I'll be joined by playwright, filmmaker, and film teacher Jay Shearer. We'll talk about The Empire Strikes Back, specifically the archetypal roles that Luke Skywalker and Han Solo play in the story. The Empire Strikes Back is my favorite of the Star Wars films. In fact, it's my second favorite movie of all time, coming in close behind Casablanca at number one. The original Star Wars probably has a place in my top five. As a pure adventure fantasy, Star Wars is damn near flawless in its structure, in how the characters are introduced, in how the plot moves from one danger to another, in its spectacle and scope, and in the boundless sense of fun the film evokes. Empire, however, is a superior film on every technical level. The script is better. at at least the characters in the dialogue are better written. The directing is better, the shots, the framing, the lighting, the performances are better, the music is better, the sets and the locations are better. I mean, from the frigid wastes of Hoth to the foreboding swamps of Dagobah, and from the scenic heaven of Cloud City to the industrial hell that is the carbon freezing chamber, there isn't a wasted scene or setting in The Empire Strikes Back. In fairness, there isn't a wasted scene or setting in the original Star Wars, either special editions notwithstanding, but they're better in Empire. The characters are better in The Empire Strikes Back as well. Luke, Han, Princess Leia, even the secondary characters like Chewie and the droids, and especially Darth Vader, they all have their greatest moments in Empire. In Star Wars, these guys were character types, playing out the role of their archetype according to classical myth. In Empire, they continue to follow the hero's path, but they shed the haughtiness of being tropes, They reject destiny, duty, and personal security for love and friendship. It makes them realer people, which is especially poignant, given the tragedy that each suffer by the end of the film. Here now, my conversation with Jay Shearer. Because, I
0: mean, Lucas obviously read um, Hero with a Thousand Faces, you know, about a million times. That's fairly obvious. You know, along with ripping off Westerns and Japanese movies, you know, he ripped off Joseph Campbell. Absolutely no problem. And Empire is really, when you think about it, it's Luke's journey into the underworld. Mm -hmm. The hero must go into the underworld before he can emerge and continue upon his quest. So in that way, you know, it's the best of Star Wars films. I would argue it's just a damn good movie. Period. you know, it's just, it's just a damn good sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. And a damn good sci-fi movie is just a damn good movie. Mm-hmm. What makes it a good movie? I think what makes it superior to Star Wars and superior to Jedi... Is that it is all about these characters really figuring out who they are and where they fit in in the grand scheme of things?
1: Absolutely, and that's not just for Luke. That yeah, you can that's, find that for all three of the main, the principal characters.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And Darth Vader obviously walks into the trilogy knowing exactly who he is, exactly right. Right. what he wants, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Luke—they all figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. Within this trilogy, and the movie pulls off the difficult trick of keeping them apart. Yeah, uh, keeping the keeping Luke apart from from Han and Leia for. An hour and a half? There's a the two hours
1: and ten minutes run, I think? There's only one scene in the movie when all of the heroes are together. And it's in the medical bay on right. Hoth after Luke has been attacked. But yeah. when they bring him back, that's the only scene when all six of them are together. Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, and the droids. Yeah.
0: And the other thing is that the characters are not perfect. They make mistakes. Yeah. You know? And that... You know, it's very easy when you're doing, you know, the... Um, when you're doing the hero of a thousand faces, mythological type of thing, mm-hmm. to take your main character and make them perfect, mm-hmm. to make them always making the right decision, so on and so forth, it's much more interesting to have them make mistakes. Like, th- so think of all the mistakes that Luke makes once he gets to Dagobah. When he goes in that cave, brings his lightsaber with him, mm-hmm. even though he's not. Sp- Yoda tells him, "You will not need it." Right. You know, he leaves before his training is finished. Right. Should he have split off from his friends in the first place? You know, there's there's that question, Um, you know. And I mean, Obi Wan, you know. So here's one place where where the film falls short for me, okay. Um, Because I I I gotta toss nothing's perfect. Gotta toss Mm -hmm. some criticisms criticisms at it. Um, You know, Obi Wan shows up as what's known as the change agent. You're familiar with that term, yeah? For those of you listening at home, (laughs) the change agent in a screenplay is basically like a mythological or a Fifth tier character who shows up, gives some information to the main character, changes that character's direction, and off they go. You know, and so what happens? I mean, he escapes the Wampa, Mm -hmm. and he's out there dying. Right. And all of a sudden, Obi Wan shows up. You must go to the Dagobah system. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) Uh, Why is this happening right now? Um, Kind of in the middle of a war, dude. Yeah, you know, we've got this whole thing going on, and, and you're saying go to Dagobah? Yeah. Uh, okay, and Luke just takes it on faith. Yeah, you know he just takes it on faith that he's supposed to go to Dagobah and seek out this great person named Yoda. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Deus ex machina sure. is yeah, really absolutely. what it is. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, we got to figure out a way to get Luke here, and we got to figure out a way to get Luke here, mm-hmm. and so we're just gonna take—he's just gonna take this as articles of faith and move on. You will go to the Dagobah system. Now all I gotta do is find this Yoda.
1: And Getting back to Mark Hamill and the performance. Yeah. How much of that movie is him acting with a puppeteer? Exactly. (laughs) The puppeteer who's beneath the stage and the puppet. And a guy in a prop suit. I mean, a large chunk of that is just him on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you got the Dagobah
0: set is built like five or six feet up right. off the ground of Pinewood. Right. And you've got Frank Oz, and I, th- I think it took Frank Oz and three other puppeteers mm-hmm. to operate Yoda. Um, I remember reading somewhere it was originally offered to Jim Henson. And yeah. Henson turned it down, but he said, you know, my friend Frank Oz, yeah. who does yeah. Miss Piggy and everything, he's really good. That's you, what should, heard, yeah. you should talk to him. Henson recommended Oz, yeah. Yeah, because Henson, I guess Henson didn't think he could do the voice is okay. what i read that he that he didn't feel like he could find a good voice for yoda whereas um oz was i i, I you know you can hear some of yoda in a couple of other yeah, oz's muppet that. voices but yeah i mean it's you know it's luke acting opposite a puppet right and You know, I remember reading someplace else, too, that apparently the director sometimes would be giving direction directly to the Yoda puppet (laughs) instead of going downstairs and being like, so, Frank...
1: uh, (laughs) Frank's like, I can't hear you. (laughs) By the way, there are snakes falling down (laughs) into the stage. Yeah, because they were using real-life snakes.
0: And, um, yeah, hey, reality, (laughs) method acting. Method,
1: bring Uh, the snakes. So You you mentioned earlier that... In one, like kind of thinking about the characters, and it's Mm -hmm. the one—it's the movie where the characters are allowed to sort of explore and find out who they are. Right. I think, in a sense, it's the one movie of the three where the characters are the most human. Yes. Because in Star Wars, I would argue that—and a lot of this is because of the structure and the tropes that Lucas was borrowing—they're almost archetypal characters. Yeah. They're playing to a type. They're—you know—you—you would sum them up in a particular catchphrase or something, with Luke being the wide-eyed farm boy Mm -hmm. who's caught up in this adventure. The princess, the sort of damsel in distress, but she's a lot tougher than that. The, The pirate with the heart of gold type thing. And in Return of the Jedi, which is my problem with return of the jedi which is not, has nothing to do with the ewoks um <laughs> that is puts that, in the minority yeah it's that it's just luke skywalker's adventure it's the it's the end of his story yeah han and leia have nothing to do they could be out of that movie and you wouldn't miss them in the plot. no like other than, i mean the first the first like act the first 30 or 40 minutes. The rescuing of Han Solo is a cool little adventure but it's like a side trip that has nothing to do with the rest of the story. And Han and Rey have nothing to do after that.
0: Um, Because it's actually Lando who's flying the Millennium Falcon in Return of the Jedi to go destroy the core of the new Death Star. Han is, well, he's got to take out the radar base, but that could have been anybody. Anybody. Yeah, that could have been any soldiers just taking out the radar base. But you put Han in there so you can justify shooting the Endor scenes, you know, Um, which originally
1: was supposed to be the... uh, The Wookiee Planet. The Wookiee Planet, yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Kashyyyk. So I think Empire, you're right. I think the characters are the most human. That's yeah. what they're, they're flesh and blood people with character arcs, but also the pathos and the ethos that yeah. you find with them, that they do make mistakes, they let their guard down, and they you see flaws in the sort of archetype that you thought you saw. Yeah. Each of the characters gets to have their layers
0: stripped away a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see the vulnerability of Princess Leia. You mm-hmm. see the vulnerability of Han Solo. Mm-hmm. You see... Um, you know, you see Luke willing to give up on what he knows is the right path, right? In order to save his friends, because he right. feels his friendship is more important than becoming this powerful right. then person than destiny. Then destiny. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm. I mean, if so, if we count the prequels, mm-hmm. the whole prequel arc is about two characters who. Speak well, I mean, in the prequels, it's mm-hmm. all about rejecting destiny. Mm-hmm. It's a messiah story where the messiah refuses to be the messiah. Mm-hmm. Luke rejects his destiny for a time, Yeah. and I don't think Luke ever really becomes a full Jedi. I, I think he's got the powers, right? Right. You know, but he's the he's the last guy in the universe on the on the good side of the Force. Right. Darth Vader and the Emperor are the last guys left on the bad side of the Force.
1: We also and. We in the in the classic trilogy, we also only really get a a vague sense of what a Jedi is. Exactly. Like, what's the day to day practice of a Jedi Knight? Yeah. We only see Obi Wan and Yoda when they're old, retired, in hiding. Right. And they're talking. And I, I would agree that if Luke's ultimate trial, if what it means to become a Jedi Knight is the climax of Return of the Jedi, then all we see is the post party. Right, then we don't see him actually putting these these skills into practice afterwards, so mm-hmm. we would have to go back to the prequels to actually s- to compare this to yeah and, and so the
0: question is then, okay, so what is becoming a jedi mm-hmm. um, and if, so if we're going to take it with the classic, then becoming the Jedi, I think, is learning the true meaning of the word compassion mm-hmm. the willingness to sacrifice it all mm-hmm. for. Compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's why he surrenders himself to Darth Vader, mm-hmm. you know, even though he has the angry outburst, chops off Vader's mm-hmm. hand, all that kind of stuff. In the end, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about he's trying to get Vader to turn back
1: to the side of good. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I, is funny because in that in that final scene, in Return of the Jedi he is ultimately sacrificing himself again, mm-hmm. if he can even conceive of the power of the emperor, which we haven't really seen up to that point. Right. But if he does suspect that the emperor is that powerful, he is choosing death again mm-hmm. over, he's, he's basically given the same choice, mm-hmm. a life of evil or death, and he throws it again. But this time, it's not because his brain can't. Conceives of what he's being faced with. Right, it is because he is showing that act of faith in his father, and he's trying to pull him back. Yeah, um, and I think you're right. I think that uh, that is that sense of selflessness and compassion mm-hmm. and sacrifice is what the sort of Jedi code is built upon. In the classic trilogy.
0: Because that also ties into Obi-Wan's sacrifice in the original. Obi-Wan lets Vader Mm -hmm. kill... Well, I don't know if he lets Vader kill him, Mm -hmm. because Obi-Wan just literally disappears. Lightsaber gets swung, and he's gone. Right. Which is a fantastic special effect, Mm -hmm. the way that they do it. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's all practical. And he just... The robe drops, and and you see (laughs) Vader do the cheesy thing (laughs) with his foot. It's like, like, where is it? I don't know. This Um, isn't what happened when I killed Sam Jackson. (laughs) David Prowse, man, he just made some poor acting Choices. There's no way around it. He couldn't see. Give him a break. I know. I think he, he was. I think see. he was
1: trying to walk, and he was like, "Wait, this doesn't feel like the floor of the Yeah. What am I stepping on? Echo Station Three T Eight. We have spotted Imperial walkers. You know, and and I like I, I I think of
0: something. I think of some of uh, Kirshner's directors directing choices versus what Lucas would do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Example: Battle on Hoth. Mm-hmm. So the AdAts are about to come. Yep. We know the adats are about to come. Mm-hmm. Silence as they line up in the trench. Mm-hmm. Silence as they look on in terror. Mm-hmm. Extreme long shot. We just... Silence yeah. as we just see them yeah. coming out of... The, it's almost horror movie-ish. You and, know, like, as even, those like, ad come out of the fog. Well,
1: even when we, we cut back to inside the base, when you just see the snow trickling from like the te- from the roof of the base, from the impacts, from the explosions and everything. Like yeah. The way he... Like, when he cuts away and like you still get the sense of the battle and this impending mm-hmm. doom. Yeah. Um, to everything, like the the voice coming over the, the intercom... Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered... <laughs> that is something... Yeah, that you guy guy. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, that is something that you might find in, like, a horror or some kind of, like, suspense moment. Yeah. That just builds that tension. Yeah. yeah. And it's... You know, it's and all of that once again is not. It, 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 I think is Kirshner
0: understanding. Look, I know I'm working in the sci-fi genre, mm-hmm. but these are the things I've got to do right. to tell the story and tell the story well. To put these characters in this moment and make it emotionally honest mm-hmm. and emotionally logical. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's that's where high concept to me fails so often. Mm-hmm. Is they get. You know, this is the sin, I think, of like, Star Trek The Next Generation okay. and Original Trek. You know, I, I, I know I'm going to get sacrificed for this, and I love Original Trek and I love Next Generation, although my favorite is Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, but Original Trek and Star Trek Next Generation were willing to give up emotional logic and um, emotional truth in favor of the concept. Okay. Empire never gave up emotional truth in favor of the concept. Right. You know, they're like, we, we are just going to go with the emotional truth of this. Mm-hmm. And the emotional truth of this is that Luke is still too immature to understand that his friends have to die sometime. Right. And whether they die today or 30 years from now mm-hmm. doesn't matter.
1: Right.
0: You know, it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to die. Right. So you might as well stay here and finish your training. Mm-hmm. And he can't accept that. He cannot accept that worldview. Yeah. Now, I mean, you could say that's a quasi religious point of view. You could say that that's a very dark way of looking at the universe, perhaps, um, that Yoda proposes. Or it's like, hey, everybody dies, so you might as well stay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't complete your training, you're toast. Yeah. You He's
1: know? He's been living in a swamp for a 100 years. Yeah. You know. <laughs> His perspective might have been color. Think about Han Solo Han. And, his, and his point in this movie. Okay. Excellent question. What is the point of Han Solo in Empire? Huh. I've got two I've got two sort of favorite scenes in the movie that I always okay. come back to. And one of them is the ambush on Cloud City mm-hmm. when Han, Leia, Chewie, and, yeah, it's just Han Leia and Chewie are walking with Lando, and he's telling them all about just the business of this this closet. It's just exposition that doesn't really matter. Right. And the door opens, and at the end of that long, pristine white table is the black Darth Vader. Right. Great juxtaposition. And the music cues up, Chewie growls, and without thinking and without waiting for him to shoot first, Han draws his gun and opens fire. Right. It is... Han Solo at his best. Mm-hmm. And a fleeting half-second later, Han Solo at his weakest. Because you see when Vader just palms the laser, <laughs> pulls and it accomplish nothing, and then takes the gun away, that in the grand scheme of this story and this adventure in this galaxy, Han's place is just to be tortured to cause an emotional reaction in Leia to cause an emotional reaction in Luke. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how little Vader thinks about Han Solo. So that one little moment, it's Han at his best, and Han at his, like, smallest, weakest, most ineffectual. Mm -hmm. And that contrast, I just, I love that. The two feelings I get from that. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's Han being Han, and it not making a difference. Like, for everybody who thinks that Han is the coolest character, which... In every rationale that you would explain what cool is, Han is the coolest character. Right. But he's not the hero of this story. He's um, not the hero, he gets and... The, he's got the cool dog, he's got the cool car, and he gets the girl. Mm-hmm. But this is Luke's adventure. This yeah. is about Luke's destiny. Yeah. Well, I, it's in
0: Empire is where it becomes clear mm-hmm. that we're going to start talking that, w- that what this is really about is... A spiritual quest, a mm-hmm. spiritual journey, mm-hmm. um, and we get the explanation of what the Force is. Right. And you have Luke and Vader who are on these spiritual journeys, these mm-hmm. opposite paths. Mm-hmm. But Han rejects all of it. In fact, they have that conversation. Yeah, they have that exact conversation in Star Wars. Right. There's no mystical field that like that controls my destiny. Yeah. You know, Han, Han's like, yeah. I, I do my thing. Yep. You know, and he's a smuggler. So do you need Han Solo in Star Wars from a plot standpoint? No. No. You don't need Han Solo from a plot standpoint. The only thing, the only thing he provides from a plot standpoint is he gets Obi-Wan and Luke off of Tatooine. In Which you Star could Wars. explain that
1: Obi-Wan had a ship all over. Yeah. That's yeah. not that's not a substantive contribution right. in the grand scheme of things. Right. It's the character, it's the color and the flavor that he adds. To exactly. It. He is fla- he
0: he is the uh, the 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 espresso shot that comes with your tiramisu. <laughs> you know. D- now the tiramisu on its own is wonderful, but the espresso shot that you have with it that you either pour over or do and right. then eat the tiramisu, that is the perfection. Right. And Han is what. You know Han is the character that we can connect with mm-hmm. because let's say that we can't connect with Luke mm. um, we can empathize with Luke sure. when I when I talk to my students about storytelling mm-hmm. I talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy mm-hmm. and my definition mm-hmm. and this is an argument I've, I've gotten in a lot of times right. with a lot of writers mm-hmm. um, my, my definition is empathy is, okay, I understand the character's logic and why they are making the decisions that they are making. Mm-hmm. That's empathy. Mm-hmm. Sympathy is, if I was in that situation, yeah. I would make the exact same decisions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? And for that, you need to have a deep emotional connection to a character. Mm-hmm. So, to give you an example, um, th- this is often where villains fall short. Right. You know, because villains' emotional logic makes no sense very often. You know, you get your Bond villains. Oh, I just right. want to take over the world. Right. I want one billion dollars. Right. Who gives a crap? Right. You know, I, I don't care. Right. You know, okay, I understand why you're making your decisions. Right. Then, look at the Joker in The Dark Knight. Right. Okay? There is a character that when you look deep enough, you understand at some point in his life, mm-hmm. he was hurt. Mm-hmm. And he was hurt badly. Mm-hmm. And this was his response. Mm -hmm. This was his response. He decided to become this character Mm -hmm. who said, I'm going to prove a point. Right. Okay. So the issue with Luke, Mm -hmm. with being able to sympathize Mm -hmm. with Luke, is that because he is on a spiritual journey, Mm -hmm. that is difficult to sympathize with. Right. Spiritual journeys are
1: incredibly right. personal things. Now I mean in And not you and you further complicate that by the fact that this isn't just a emotional and spiritual change in the character right. there's a physical component to this He's essentially getting superpowers along with this emotional right. awakening right so that further separates you from yeah how you can connect to the character yeah
0: you know i mean we can watch people become superheroes right. in movies right. you know i mean that's what origin stories right. are all about but the, but there's never a, there's not a spiritual component to Spider-Man. There's right. not a spiritual component to the X-Men. Right. Right. You know, it's just accepting that you're a mutant, mm-hmm. moving on with your life or whatever. Um, but you know, lo- lo- there's a distance. Mm -hmm. between Luke and the audience. Mm -hmm. So you need characters that the audience will have an immediate emotional connection with. Almost impossible to do with Leia because Leia is so standoffish with almost everybody Mm -hmm. for the vast majority of the film. Han... Is our gateway mm-hmm. into this universe because all of us want to be that character in our own stories. Mm-hmm. We all want to be the lovable rogue. Right. As much as we hate it, you know, right. we want to get away with a
1: little mischief. Not a lot of mischief, right. just a little mischief. He's also the one who can get away with pointing out the silliness of yeah. aspects of the story. Oh, yeah. Like if you, if you have a problem or just if if science fiction and fantasy isn't your cup of tea and you make fun of concepts like the force mm-hmm. Han is also that character yeah he's the one who jokes about it and doesn't get it Moki okay, religions and ancient weapons are no match for a
0: good blaster you your side kid Obviously, you get the romantic interest, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you, you know, if you're telling a classic story, you've got to have a love story in there somewhere. And there's but there's also no time for Luke to have a romantic subplot on this journey. None. So yeah. you've got to have it somewhere. So what do you do? You get, you get Han, you get Leia. Mm-hmm. And then you get that classic will-they-won't-they, they, you know. But yeah, Han is our gateway in. Han is what allows us to be emotionally connected, so that mm-hmm. when he is lowered... Onto mm-hmm. that torture machine? We're pissed. Mm-hmm. We are bi- Holland doesn't deserve to be tortured. Right. He doesn't
1: know anything. Right. You know, they, I think they say that, right? Like, Yeah, they don't even ask him questions. Yeah. They this just is torture. literally just Vader just torturing them because he thinks that Luke is going to feel it from a thousand planets away.
0: Forgets. He's given the choice. Join me, and together we can rule the the galaxy as father and son. Mm -hmm. And he looks down that hole. Yeah. You know, he's looking at a life of evil or suicide. Mm -hmm. He chooses suicide. You cannot convince me Mm -hmm. that he expected to fall from that tower (laughs) and fall into a shaft and miraculously be saved. No was falling to his death. Sure. He would rather die. Absolutely. You know, and that, to me, is what makes that movie really dark, is like, it's willing to go there. Oh, yeah, yeah. To go to the point where the hero is willing to commit suicide rather than follow the path of evil. Mm -hmm. Dude, I let my three-year-old son watch these movies. (laughs) And he loves them. Mm-hmm. He understands that Anakin is Darth Vader because he, he has a doll that changes from Anakin to Darth Vader. And so he calls him Darth Skywalker, which is really cool. Um, but he's like, Anakin is Darth, you know, Darth yeah. Skywalker, which is really cool. Um, but, you know, we we let our kids watch these movies because, oh, yeah, it's sci-fi is for kids and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about Empire... Mm-hmm. It is. It has got some really
1: hardcore elements in there. There was a moment in Empire that really disturbed me as a kid, and it's that scene when Luke is dangling from the bottom of Cloud City. Mm-hmm. Because I thought about, like, I would like go to bed and like, like have nightmares that if I was in his position, mm-hmm. I would die. Yeah. Because I don't have the Force. Yeah. I can't call to somebody to come well, rescue me. You're at the be, TV end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be dangling there from that tiny piece of metal until I got tired and fell. And I would die. Yeah. Like, that, that really freaked me out when I was a kid. Absolutely. Jay brought up an interesting idea. That, by and large, we can empathize with Luke Skywalker, but not sympathize with him. In the original Star Wars, I can totally sympathize with him. And I only need one scene to do it, that iconic moment of Luke staring out at the twin sunset of Tatooine. I think most viewers know the longing to leave the confines of home and find your place in the larger universe. Oh yes, I can absolutely sympathize with Luke in Star Wars. In Empire, though, it's a lot harder. His journey is so intensely personal and yet so profoundly momentous on a galactic scale that it's difficult to make an emotional connection with him. We can watch his development in Yoda's crash course for Jedi Knighthood, but the wisdom and philosophy that Yoda imparts, as well as the spiritual awakening Luke must face, is pretty alien to most Judeo-Christian audiences. And we can't forget that Luke tries to kill himself at the end of the film. It's a more passive suicide attempt than putting a gun to his head, sure, but it's still really hard to connect emotionally with a character that gives up so completely What redeems him slightly is the fact that his attempted suicide was an act of defiance. It was the only way that he could still fight and hurt Darth Vader. That's cool, I guess, but still. In Return of the Jedi, I think Luke is beyond the notion of sympathy that Jay described. Luke is too disconnected from the rest of the characters. He has no fear of Jabba the Hutt or the Emperor. He appears beyond all emotion except for wanting to save his father. That's admirable, but hard to relate to. Unless your father was a Nazi or the most violent and terrible kind of alcoholic, chances are you've never been in a position where you had to save your father's soul. I don't want to talk anymore about Return of the Jedi right now. That's the subject for another time. For now, I want to thank Jay Shearer for our talk. We recorded a whole lot more than what you heard, and I think he'll be popping up again in a later episode. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to leave feedback, you can post a comment for this episode on the show's blog page at deadboffinspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadboffinspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes. Any comments left on the blog or Facebook page or iTunes may be read aloud by me in an upcoming episode, so let me know if you don't want your name or message read on the air. Also, you can contact me privately through the blog page using the contact form on the right-hand column. Dead and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on the show are solely the opinion of the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and until next time, May the force keep you warm and safe at night.
0: It's not like they backed a, a, a dump truck of money up to Lucas's doorstep. Doorstep. Mm-hmm. Uh, doorstep. <laughs> Lucas financed that film entirely himself right. out of the proceeds right. from merchandising. Yeah. You know? He didn't want the studio to be able to say squat. Right. Which is funny because he was not producing, he was not directing, he was not writing. Right. He turned the story over to other people... Mm-hmm. And the money Mm -hmm. And said do it Yeah. Now supposedly he stepped in Towards the end when there were disastrous Test screenings And the edit was a mess And you know all that kind of stuff Because Irving Kirshner the director Who was his former um, professor at Mm -hmm. USC He had only ever done One action film before that Mm -hmm. He did uh, The Spy Who Loved Me
1: Which I didn't realize that But I think that's my favorite James Bond movie
0: Really? Yeah a uh, Roger Moore is I, your favorite? I think film? so. I think so. Okay, but yeah, that was uh, Irving. That was the only action movie that Irving. I've Kirshner
1: only seen ten of the twenty. I've only seen ten of the twenty-four films. But I think, yeah, I think the Spy, Who Lo- the Spy Who Loved Me is my favorite. Okay, well, that was an
0: Irving Kershner film.